Welcome to Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP, where we discuss trends in architectural and interior design, and the competing priorities or tensions that arise from integrating new ideas into existing organizations, enterprises, and institutions. On today's episode, we offer part two of our discussion on design thinking with Holly O'Driscoll of Ampersand Innovation, LLC, and Drew Susco of BHDP. If you haven't heard part one, you might want to start there. If you enjoy what you hear, we encourage you to rate, subscribe, and give us a review. We also invite your suggestions of other architectural, interior design, and behavioral related topics. I'm your host, Brian Trainer, a workplace strategist for BHDP. Let's get started. You mentioned a, a ground rule, which is introduce someone from finance into yes. the, the process. Yeah, right. Um, can you talk a little bit about the spaces in which you would say facilitate sessions like this yeah. or lead? Um, what makes for a great experience as you're, say, launching a project or maybe midstream within a project? Right. How do, how do people come together and yeah. what role does space play? I, t- I talk about space as space matters, but any space can matter. Um, and sometimes that takes on a really different persona. I was doing a session in Frankfurt, Germany in 2002, and it was at a hotel um, that I was not happy with when, mm-hmm. I, when I got there and saw the space we were, we were going to be in. And I said, you know, can you, can you help me find somebody who can make this space a little more interesting? And they said, well, what do you mean? What's wrong with the space? And I said, well, I need people to feel very comfortable and creative and to to have the event be memorable mm-hmm. and this typical hotel dark wood ballroom isn't doing it for me, right? <laughs> yeah, right. And so they, they came back and they said, you know, we have someone, they'll be over in 30 minutes. And I said, okay, fine. And they did such a great job. They said, we just had this party last weekend, so we have all this stuff still available. They had, um, they turned the room into a cruise ship deck. Ah. <laughs> and so there were deck chairs and there were umbrellas and there was um, this banner along the back wall mm-hmm. that looked like water, right? Oh, wow. And so they suddenly, you know, instead of this dumpy hotel ballroom, we had a nice cruise ship And experience. they were probably sitting there going, what do we do with all this stuff? Right. And suddenly it had a new life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly right. So, I mean, there is some, yes some you know, serendipity <laughs> to the moment for sure. But being memorable, I think, does matter, right? Mm-hmm. And giving people an opportunity to go, oh, this is going to be different. And I'm not sure why or how just yet, but it's going to be different. Um, and so I do think venue matters. But you could take any kind of corporate conference room and make it look and feel differently. Um, music, I think, helps a lot as well. I've been known yeah. to play music. I don't take oh. breaks in terms of minutes. I'll say here's a three-song break, hmm. um, which I've learned is a little challenging. If you're not in the room, you don't know when to come back if That's you're not true. hearing the music. So <laughs> You can't pipe it so, through the PA. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly right. Yeah, so there's some pitfalls to that as well, um, depending on what kind of environment you're in. Music does matter. Having things on wheels is a huge plus. Mm-hmm. Tables, chairs on wheels. Um screens on wheels, whiteboards on wheels, stuff that you can move such that there can be breakout spaces can be really, really helpful too. Although um, I would say the past three or four years, um, I've been known to rent Airbnbs Hmm. and have a, talk about human centered, you rent a home and you have the workshop in the home. Um, And that's really been effective as well. Um, People come as they are, they lose their corporate persona. Right. Um, sometimes they come in their shorts and their flip flops. We did one in, in Beverly Hills a couple of years ago where we had um, some speakers come in to the house and we sat out by the, the pool in the patio and listened to them talk. Right. Hmm. And it was a very um, it, it 
it's informal. It yeah. changes the dynamic a lot, right? You know, there's nobody with a, a microphone or a, a podium, right. right? It doesn't feel so cold and yeah. official. It feels very warm and So and the head of the group didn't sit on the diving board at the... <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. No, not at all. Um, and, you know, in that moment, you know, you don't have the tables and chairs and, yeah. and a lot of stuff on, on wheels, as I mentioned earlier. Um, so I think that's really important for more corporate spaces. But when you think about like an Airbnb, or I've had workshops in my home as well, um, you just buy a bunch of flip charts yeah. and you hang them on the windows or you hang them on the walls and... You know, you make really sure that that people aren't aren't pressing really hard with their sharpie on on your wall, right? Yes. So there's some some things to pay attention to in there as well. Um, access to light, I think, is really critical. I think that's been a, a miss in a lot of um, U.S. corporate spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's actually illegal in Europe to have. Mm-hmm. You guys know better than I am sure mm-hmm. about the regulatory environment with space, mm-hmm. but denying people Everyone access to, to light access, yeah. really really important. I think it's it's even more critical if you have people flying in from other regions and they've got jet lag, right? Sure. You need to back to empathy. This is why design <laughs> right. thinking is lifestyle, right? You can design a space in a, in that same way, right? For a, a creative meeting, those moments really really matter. Having some moment of of unexpectedness is really nice. When I used to to um, run sessions in over the Rhine, we would send somebody out to get popsicles in the middle mm-hmm. of the session, right? Because it's unexpected. You expect to get a fruit tray or a cheese tray or, you know, a cookie. But nobody <laughs> expects a really, you know, nice popsicle. Right. And yeah. <laughs> right, you go to street pops and get a <laughs> yeah, really right. great popsicle. And people are like, wow, that's so thoughtful. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you get some some custom juices from the juice bar. And people remember that. And, yes. they, and they run into, the, run into you in the hall, mm-hmm. you know, a week later. That was amazing. I've never had a popsicle like that. And I'm like, oh, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's the same three bucks yeah. that you'd spend on the cheese tray, right? Sure, so yeah. it's, it's you know, how do you get intentional about the choices you're making and crafting that overall experience that you want them to have? So I think those elements of space are really important. I actually prefer soft seating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That makes a big difference, too, Changing than having posture. people feeling, yeah. feeling so. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, you've noticed the same thing. And another thing that I do quite a bit is to position people in a horseshoe or a semicircle, mm-hmm. right? How do you have them have that sense of community, particularly mm-hmm. at, at um, kickoff and then at closing? Because that's how humans have shared stories for thousands of years, right? Mm-hmm. We just generally have a campfire in the middle, mm-hmm. which doesn't work so well inside of indoor spaces. <laughs> um, so I don't light fires like that. <laughs> but I do talk about the metaphor of here's why we're in this this orientation. Yeah. And then, you know, YouTube, I can turn on the fireplace. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it does work really well. And so how do you use those those um technology-enabled solutions that mm-hmm. allow you to transform the space as well. Um, I've used an aquarium on the screen. I've used a fireplace. I've used a beach waterfall scene, all mm-hmm. different kinds of stuff. And people are like, what is this? I mean, it's, it's if you have a standard conference room and that's the best you can do, how do you amp it up and do something different? You can change yeah. the food. You can change the music. You can change what's on the screen. You can you know, change what's happening. And, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. We have a screen behind us with uh, Michael, our producer's favorite uh, sports. Go sports ball. What is that? The Ohio State, right? The Ohio State University. Even though we're That's in right. Cincinnati. <laughs> Which is, you know, what, we're a quarter mile into Ohio. It's okay, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's all right. No. Yeah, but like space matters for that. sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I think the diversity of spaces can be really interesting. Um, and it's fun to explore that. I mean, I like having a a voice in the venue selection. Mm. I have a session coming up in May, and we're going to be at this um, 
place that's turned into a park used to be a golf course and kind of overlooking a lake. And the theme for the session is around growth. Hmm. And they're going to have an exercise to do in that space. And then they're going to have a reflection walk around the lake. And I want them to see, you know, mm -hmm. what's going on out sure. there. And, and so getting really intentional about the space, I think, becomes really, really important. Hmm. Space for So what kind of, um, so you're with, your company is Ampersand Innovation, That's right? That's right. Uh, what kind of projects have you worked on? Like when people, is it a product or is it a, a process that you, like when do you get invited in? Yeah. What kind of things have you done? So when there's a, a challenge to be solved, um, either in the product service or also organizational strategy space. Mm -hmm. So I would okay. say, um, and this is true over the past five years or so, I've spent about half of my time doing organizational strategy work and half on product and service and experience okay. uh, related work. So um, back to the organizational conditions that we talked about earlier, a lot of teams are trying to figure out how to bring more of that to life. And then many others are much more strategic product questions on mm. how do we think about operating differently in this category? How might this look differently in, in the retail environment? Mm -hmm. How do we think about strategy for for things like packaging? You know, are a lot of different spaces there. Um, and then this whole other space around kind of leadership and organizational strategy because it's grounded in the same principles. So if you are, are a really great leader, you bring empathy. You bring curiosity. You bring psychological safety to your team. If you're a really great innovator, you bring empathy for the people that you're trying to mm -hmm. solve for, right? Um, you are are making those ideas come to life, taking them back out to your team. So even though they, they certainly feel differently as far as where they land inside the organization, the principles behind them is the same, yeah. right? It's the same, same approach. And so that's where I spend most of my time doing workshop facilitation. So guiding teams, creating conditions for teams such that they can really unleash their full potential of their people and their ideas. And um, also teaching. So I run the exec ed program in design thinking at Rutgers University as well in New Jersey. And I love teaching because you learn so much from the students. Mm -hmm. That's so exciting to me to yes. hear their stories and to, to hear what they're struggling with and, and to learn from them while teaching the principles, yep. right? So I feel like every single time I learn more than, than I'm offering them, right? Because right? Yeah. you're just so impressed by the talent in the room and the, the experiences they've had and yeah. the stories that they bring. Um, and I love that, yeah. right? Because it enriches the practice. Sure. And the more I learn about them, back to being user-centered and human-centered, the better I can tailor the next one. Right, and there's another story you can bring into the mix that might connect the dots for somebody else. It sounds like you have a really good ability to take your bias and like leave it at the door, and then just come in and with the eyes wide open and see mm -hmm. what you're going to learn today. With the yeah, students, right, right? <laughs> and that is so exciting, right? Yeah. But I think it's 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 practicing empathy again because when I go and teach or when I'm running a workshop, it's never about me, right? It's in service of the group. Yes, and that's really important. Right. How can you be shamelessly in service? I use shamelessly a lot because I do think that we are <laughs> socialized to think we should feel badly about kind of uh -huh. letting that go. And yeah. no, it needs to be shameless. Yeah. I mean, it is about the group. And what's <laughs> what amazing genius is living in that space that it's my job to help tease out or create spaces for them to allow it to just pop out, right? That is so exciting. <laughs> so Holly, if I'm listening at home yeah. and, and I want to get started right. small, mm. what would be like a homework assignment you might give me? Like, let's say you're teaching one of your courses at Rutgers yeah, yeah. and you, you know, students are leaving for the day and they're going to come back the next morning. What's for something sure. small that I can do 
by myself in my, you know, in my work or in my home life to get started with design Yeah, thinking. I would say pay attention. <laughs> pay attention. Oh, I mean, right? <laughs> <laughs> pay attention. I'll, let me explain a little bit more. Yeah. When you think about um, looking at things, we talk often in design thinking around seeing with new eyes or seeing with beginner's eyes. And where are those opportunities that are, are right before us in this moment that could be easier? Yeah, my husband jokes. He's like, gosh, can you just back off for a minute, right? Because every time you know, I'll be walking through the airport, oh, this is not in the right place. And he's like, look, right? The world is not designed the way you want it to be. We get it, right? But if you do find that there's there's an opportunity to pay attention to those little moments, those micro moments or those micro experiences amid your day mm-hmm. where maybe you've gotten used to compensating. Mm-hmm. And yes. maybe there's an opportunity sitting there um, maybe you're not going to do anything about it, but maybe it's it's priming you to pay attention to the opportunities that are existing in your business as well. Mm-hmm. And how can you say, hold on a second, that's not working, yeah. right? Why is that? Why is that so difficult? And those moments of struggle often unlock moments of potential, right? Mm-hmm. And how do you look for those? And until you're training your mind to say, I'm no longer compensating for that, or I'm no longer going to put up with that moment mm-hmm. of compensation. That's when you start to see, hmm. wow, hey, there's an opportunity. Hey, it could be different. And, right. Yeah. Um, How much have you acquiesced to that maybe could is an opportunity for improvement? Yeah. Like a, a really good example in our office are the sinks in the washroom. Mm. You just... It's an assumed fact that the counter is always wet because right. the way the faucet is configured to the bowl. But I'm like, there, every time I wash my hands, there's there's a better way. We're yeah. not there's a better way than this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it, bathrooms yeah. are a really um, a space that's rich with opportunity. Mm-hmm. I remember taking my my um, daughters to the American Girl store. Oh in, wow. In Columbus, and you know they love that experience, right? Um, but you go into the washroom, and there's no stool mm. for the the little ones to For step the up thousands on. of little what? girls right and, boys and i'm like who is this the american girl store <laughs> why is there no step stool i mean i yeah. hope they listen and get uh-huh. a step stool because <laughs> it, those are the moments of frustration and i'm yeah. picking up yes. my daughter and you're right the sink is soaking wet and her sleeves are wet and i'm oh. trying to get her up there and it's not working right and yeah. i come out and i'm like i was happy when i came in here and now i'm not <laughs> right and i'm sure that's not what they want but it's because sure. they haven't paid attention yeah because they're building and by a building standard that's been set in place yes. for forever ago based right. on the average height that mm-hmm. we talk, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But if you're designing a step, like Disney, they get it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a step stool in Disney yep. because they pay attention. Yes. And, um, and it's that's all about the experience. Yeah. Right? Yeah. When you look and you say, where are those moments of struggle, either your own or someone else's? And why? Why yeah. does it have to be that way? Somebody either designed it to be that way or somebody didn't design it with intention. Mm-hmm. And right. which side of that do you want to be mm-hmm. on, right? And where's the opportunity space that lies yeah. there? But no, it's it's everywhere. Yeah. It's well, everywhere. It's funny you mentioned travel, right? So in creative confidence, I think they yeah. say think like a traveler. Right, right. Yeah. Right. So new get eyes. out of, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Go out and experience new things. So that's yes. oftentimes yep. one thing you can do. For sure. But also even in your everyday experience, <laughs> um, you know, when you're traveling, right? And you're going through the airport, say in a, a foreign country, yeah. somewhere you've never been before, and right. maybe English isn't the primary language, which we all speak fluently. Yeah, yeah. You're you're confronted with a, a real problem, which is I can't read the signs. Right. Can I figure out where to go? And obviously uh-huh. a well designed airport. 
you can figure it out. That's right. Poorly designed airport, yeah. you're lost, and then you have to go exit. Figure that out, in France. <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> yep. That's right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Exactly Make sure you greet right. the person in French first. Yeah. Otherwise, yes. that conversation Bonjour. will end immediately. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly right. Which can be really difficult when you get off the plane and it's yeah. three a.m. your time. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, those things are really important. And and I'm reading a a book now called um, The Power of Moments by the Heath Brothers, mm-hmm. Chip and Dan uh, Heath. Yep. I try to read two books a week, which is intense. Wow. Yeah. Um, but my goal is to learn faster such that I can bring more of that into my work. And, and one I imagine of the things, that your goal isn't to complete two books a week, right? It's to read two books a week? Read two books a are week. Are you a completist or are you... And I'm just suggesting for reader, for people at home, oh. the way that I read it, and I, maybe this is the same oh, for tell you. Me. I tend to get maybe 50, 100 pages into a book. And then I kind of have got the <laughs> gist of it. Oh, wow. And so for me, it's about quantity and not completion. And Ooh. so curious, and two books a week is a pretty aggressive goal, right? Yeah, right. That means you're reading 100 books a year. Yeah, and that's really hard. Are you hard. completing 100 books My a goal year? is two. So yeah, I'm on track this week. <laughs> but if I'm traveling, yeah. I mean, it's easier because yeah, I'm on I'm the sure plane. Um, if I'm home for a couple of weeks, it becomes harder because, yeah. you know, life fills up my time <laughs> at that point. Um, yeah, that I don't give up at a hundred pages. Yeah. I do that with movies. Do you? I, I don't have the I feel attention like span I'm sitting here for yeah. two hours and I'm not <laughs> doing it. Well, primarily because it's, it's, it's fiction. And I think this is a complicated thing, especially in, in, um, being in the business of creativity mm-hmm. is there's so much real stuff to learn. Yeah. I try to read business books and cookbooks. I don't read <laughs> fiction because I'm like, there's real stuff I should be learning, yeah, right? right. I, don't yeah. need to, I don't need to yeah. get excited about the the fiction stuff. Cool and I think books. that's my pain yeah. point with movies. Huh. Uh, yeah, interesting. right. But you mentioned the, the book by the, the Heath brothers. Yeah, fantastic. Power of Moments. It's their latest, um, Chip and Dan Heath. And they were talking about an example in the book where um, they were following this guy who was running a church in Arizona, and they were talking about how to make their meetings, their vestry meetings, more experiential and more exciting. And so he sent the people that were in the meeting off on an observation tour around the church area, and they said, you know, what did you notice? Mm -hmm. They came back and they said, oh, you know, we noticed that we have services in English and in Spanish, but all of our signs are in English. Mm -hmm. Well, why is that? I mean, exactly to your point on on the foreign country, Mm -hmm. only this was not in a foreign country. And so how do you have the sensitivity Mm -hmm. to, to pay attention and then to be congruent, right? Yeah. Where are all of those touch points where maybe that needs to be mm-hmm. done differently? Yeah. Like the American Girl store. If you're targeting young children in the store, maybe you need a step stool, yes. right? I mean, how can you have Seems that like congruence factor? Solution, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Super easy, but it's not or, happening in so many build, parts yeah. of our lives. Could you build a dolly at like two foot six to three foot off the ground and roll it through the space and see what a, yes. a four-year-old's experience might be in that environment? Yes, or, yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah, or just bring your kid for free. I mean, right? <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a lot of different ways to yeah. to go at that. But unless you're asking the right questions and observing with a, hey, you know, this might work fine for me, but does it work for everybody? I mean, I think it also gets into the principles of universal design, which I think kind of take us back to space. Yeah. Uh, how do you how do you manage for and plan for universal design um, for doors and entry and chairs and table height and access and how right. how many of those things are adjustable along the way? Because back to the, that's kind of where we started, right? On the, the end of average, if you're designing for the average pilot um, that doesn't exist in terms of measurement, 
nobody's happy. Mm-hmm. And how do you give everybody the opportunity to be delighted by your product, service, or experience every step yeah. of the way? And I think that's really the cornerstone of design thinking. Yeah, yeah and the, one of the things that um, has evolved in the last few years, the the sit-to-stand desk. Yeah, right. I had one of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what fascinates me about that is not just the opportunity to stand, but how low can you get the desk to go? Because right. we've had user groups where you have people who are not average height or Mm-hmm. significantly below right. suddenly their experience is different because all tables no matter what mean they either need a chair that has their feet not touch the floor mm-hmm. you know or that table has to be so low that they're not comfortable in the chair so mm-hmm. not just the sit to stand desk but then the chair has to pair well with that desk right and then the opposite of that is i've known someone who's like six foot eight and a standard desk doesn't work for him and he just needs it to go up a little bit it doesn't matter if it stands all the way up. It just hmm. needs to be at a comfortable height for them to, you know, yeah. not have their wrists hurt all day. Right, right. So this mass customization, suddenly by creating a product that is adjustable, it's less of a cost. And I think that's mm-hmm. what was stopping us before because there weren't a ton of innovations. Desks are still flat. You know, yeah. they're still rectangular. Um, and that may not change until somebody comes up with some disruptive great thing for right. it because mm-hmm. your water bottle would roll off anything that wasn't flat but yeah anyway I, I mean if you look in your car there's not a flat surface in your car there's cup holders so right. why do, anyway mm-hmm. that, that's a weird yeah, I mean, why don't you have a cup holder built into your desk yeah and then that maybe would actually be, be better yeah. <laughs> right because yeah. then you're not reaching over and knocking desks. it over right exactly. i've done that many times as well even with sure. the water bottle no yeah. i mean but those are the points and you only get in touch with that from observation right and empathy mm-hmm. and nobody's going to write a story saying oh i i couldn't reach my shower or i i had <laughs> yeah. trouble with my my water bottle on my desk they're not going to tell you that stuff mm-hmm. they're going to say no it's fine because they don't know what's possible right and i think it's our responsibility Uh, Not even our job. I think it's a responsibility that if you're in this space, this is what you bring to the world. Mm -hmm. Right. And how do you do more of that such that all of us can have a better experience? It's super exciting work. So, so Holly, I have a question. We brought up empathy a lot. Right. Um, I, in my experience, have encountered a bunch of people that empathy is not one of their strengths. Oh, you've met them too. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Probably the same one person. No, no. uh, But... It's not a strength for everybody. Like, is it similarly to creativity where it's been unlearned or is it just like, can empathy be learned? Like, what's your experience with that? Yeah. You know, I think it can be appreciated. Okay. Hmm. And um, much like diversity of thought and, you know, other skills and strengths and weaknesses that we all have, I think some people are wired to be more empathetic and some people are not. I think you can heighten their awareness to here's why this is important. Um, I'm not convinced in my experience that every single person in the world is going to go do it. Uh, and so, and I've gotten okay with that yeah. because if you have enough people around you who are able to do it and you can say, Hey, I'm going to tap into them when I need that. I think that that I'm fair, right? I feel right, like that's sure. an okay trade off. Um, I think people can appreciate it. I don't think everybody can actually yeah. jump in and, and do that just because their strengths are different. Right. So and it's a strength We need to appreciate that, that. Find your that, empaths. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. certainly important if you're operating in the design thinking space. However, does it have to be important in everything that you do? No. I mean, I think we're wired for that at some level from, from just being people. But maybe this is a little bit much for, for some people to step into. Mm-hmm. Um, and that needs to be okay, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good answer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
But you well, mentioned it's you mentioned finding judgment, right? Yeah. How you choose curiosity over judgment, and you tap into the diversity of skill set. But as long as you're saying, "Hey, I've got five people on my team who are great at that," great, done, enough. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned managing a team. Yes. Right. And so tapping into the collective strengths of your team and yes. not necessarily farming out work, but mm -hmm. just finding the people who are right for the job. Right. I know you're thinking about a book. You're working on a book. Yeah. Can you give us some perspective on um, if you are a leader? who right. is sitting in an organization and thinking that design thinking is something that you would like to implement at scale. Mm -hmm. What are your suggestions for getting started? Yeah, no, I think it's it's really important um, because my experience is that all of it comes from the leader really creating the conditions. And so I get really intentional as a leader on what is your philosophy? What do you want to stand for in the hearts and minds of the people in your organization? And how do you want them to behave? And are you enabling a system or an environment where people can be rewarded for bringing that kind of behavior. Um, and if it's not already in place in your organization, how can you go fix it, mm. right? And how can you bring that spirit to life such that um, we can move away from things like fear and hierarchy and judgment and move towards things like curiosity and courage and candor and possibility. Mm -hmm. and. I think those are the leaders we need in the future, yeah. right? Um, those founded in Taylorism and hierarchy, I think, are 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 no longer going to be the people who are are successful in mm -hmm. either attracting or retaining talent um, and bringing innovation to life, mm -hmm. right? I don't believe that you can deliver innovation without great innovators. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's no innovation without the people, mm -hmm. right? It's all grounded in the people. And unless you're creating conditions where those innovators can truly thrive as a leader, mm -hmm. I think that's your number one responsibility. How do you create space where people can bring their best every day? Because there's no no sense in going after the best talent mm -hmm. and you know the best technology if you can't create an environment where that's working for thrive. people, yeah. right? And the stakes are high today, hmm. right? And, yes. Um, it's really important, I think, for you as a leader to understand what do you stand for, what do you want to do, and how do you bring those elements to life in your organization, right? We've back to the the education, socialization, corporatization. We've been we've been conditioned to believe we're going to be judged for being wrong, right? It's not a good idea to ask a bunch of, I mean, I remember in college, I, I remember being shushed for, you asked too many questions. Yeah. And I'm like, wait a second, right? I'm paying, I'm paying money this. to yeah. write that. <laughs> yeah. No, no, you asked too many questions. Really? Um, but I don't know. For me, it's it's been a, a lifelong thing. I got kicked out of kindergarten. What? Um, for, yeah. So I went to kindergarten for two weeks, um, and I got kicked out for telling the teacher what to do, doing other people's work, and telling her how many minutes she had left to teach. Wow. And so I got sent home for a couple weeks while the governor approved my advancement to first grade. So <laughs> I like to think I was doing design thinking and pushing boundaries long before it was in vogue. Um, and then in middle school, I ran a pen and pencil rental business because my classmates didn't always have their equipment with them. And I had this beautiful zipper pouch, and I was well organized. And I got tired of loaning my stuff out. And not getting it back and I was like well this is not working right two cents a minute for a pencil five cents a minute for a pen and I started getting my stuff back yeah um, but it you know the end of that moment it was oh all right what are you what are you doing I'm running a business <laughs> well you know, why well because there's an opportunity yeah, right? sure. <laughs> and I don't that's that's always been part of who I am I mean there's a, the, a fire that yeah 
is burning yeah. there on, you know, yeah. what do you do and what's possible and how do you push harder? Because I think we're all capable yeah. of, of bringing more creativity, bringing more curiosity. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it's been a, a lifelong thing long before I knew what it was yeah. and before it was popular. You know, you start out asking me, how did I learn about design thinking? Um, and it really was a transformational moment in my life. It's changed everything since, yeah. for sure. But it sounds like you're an entrepreneur at heart. And I yeah, know you've launched right? a new venture, Ampersand Innovation. That's right. Can you tell us about your mission and the, the problems that you're tackling in your work? Yeah, for sure. So for me, it's really grounded in unleashing the potential of people and ideas. And that's kind of hitting on the organizational work and on the product, service, and experience work. And why does that matter so much? Because I think that there's so much living in each of us that is capped by our, our environments. Mm. And so if I can help to bring um, a different experience to life, mm -hmm for anybody who's trying to solve a problem and to give them the space and the confidence and the motivation and the inspiration to go and solve that differently. That's what I want, right? How do you get them excited about solving challenges again and to get out and go and observe and see who it is that you're solving for and have a little bit of adventure and, and fun in the moment. Those are some of my greatest memories yeah. of, of doing this kind of work, yeah. right? And you can see the transformation and you can see the difference that it makes for people. And my hope is that that then helps to inform how they think about managing their teams or leading their teams or what they want to do and how they see the world and the problems that we're facing as well. And then the education component is important mm -hmm. to me too. I really love teaching because I learn so much from from teaching and yes. the stories just get better and better right yeah. from all the things that i learned from the students so that's been really important um, when i think about problems last year i was i was part of a, a group of people who were coaching cities um, bloomberg mayor's challenge michael mm -hmm. bloomberg has a philanthropy group and he has this program called the Mayor's Challenge, where they work with cities around the world. This one was in the U.S. here last year, and so I had three cities that I was coaching using design thinking as an underlying philosophy to solve their innovation you were coaching, challenges. Wait, you were coaching cities? Cities, yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and so that was really wow. a fun experience as well, right? To take civic innovation challenges and say, mm -hmm. you know, hey, what are they trying to do for their citizens, and how do you use these same principles to solve challenges in the public sector? So, I mean, I think there's tons of opportunity in public sector, and mm -hmm. private sector, and education, um, in government, and healthcare, and lots of different places to make a difference by really putting people first. And so, coaching the cities was really fun because it was a little bit of teaching and training mm -hmm. and certainly coaching and storytelling and learning from them and getting on the front lines with their citizens as they ran some in-situ experiments in their cities. And then one of my cities went on to win a million dollars to further their their investment in their idea as wow. well. So lots of good stuff Can happening you tell in that space. That yeah. Sure. Yeah. It's public information. I'm happy to share. South Bend, Indiana. Wow. So, uh, go South Bend. Yeah. Yeah. For 100,000 people. That's yeah, impressive. That's, yeah. that's a really impressive feat for them. Yeah, yeah that was they were a fantastic team. So it was yeah. a lot of fun to partner with them. And what was the award for? What does the million dollars? So there do were um, around thirty cities competing uh -huh. across the country for what was originally named to be a one five million dollar prize, and then four one million dollar runner ups. And what they decided during the evaluation phase is that there were so many great ideas that there hmm. were going to be nine one million dollar awards oh, okay. given. Wow. Um, so that was great for, for even more cities to yep. do that. So um, they were competing for who has actually learned the most in their test and learn phase of their ideas, mm -hmm. using design thinking mm -hmm. as their foundational um, philosophy to guide that. And so that was one of the cities that had some really terrific learnings and insights from their from their citizens and the mm -hmm. tests that they had run to go and propel that forward. So yeah, Interesting. so lots of stuff happening both in the public and private sector. That's amazing. 
I'm like, I, I want to know more about that. Oh, it's super fun. Yeah, I can send you some information. Yeah, there's there's a great public link on that as well. Yeah, yeah. Now you talk about working with students. We're actually working with a class at the University of Cincinnati oh, right. okay. um, called Inquiry to Innovation, the Future of Work. Yeah. And one of the groups is focusing on what happens if creativity is the only commodity, mm-hmm. like it, if that's what you're selling. And literally, I think the answer now is go talk to Holly O'Driscoll. Because <laughs> oh, my goodness. Like, <laughs> I would love to talk to the students. I'm flood your inbox. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine all the things I would it's learn from them. only three students in that only group. Only three. But, well, I mean, in that group. Yeah. There, there are others with different topics. But Right. Uh, no, I love that, right? And I think that we're actually moving towards a world where that will be one of the differentiating factors. Mm-hmm. Um, things like empathy, things like creativity, things like curiosity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because those are things that machines can't do. Yes. Right? And when we think about AI and... Mm-hmm. Um, the role that technology and artificial intelligence is playing and might play in our world, I think we need to get really clear on what are those things that make us uniquely human Mm -hmm. and that machines will never be able to do. And so things like the social sensitivity, the the, the machine might get to taking equal taking turns in group, right? Mm -hmm. So um, they might say, you know, go around the table and this is your number or your name or whatever. But I don't think they're going to look you in the eye and go, oh, something's going on. You want to take a walk? I don't think they're yeah. going to do that, right? And right. so how do we really embrace the things that make us human? And I think creativity absolutely is one of those for sure. Yeah. Well, it's, it's fascinating you mentioned that. The book I'm reading right now is called Human Plus Machine. Oh, wow. And it's Tell written me. by the guys who were running the um, technology practice at Accenture. Okay. And, and it's about artificial intelligence mm-hmm. and the potential of artificial intelligence, which for most of us is terrifying, right? We think of Terminator. <laughs> yeah. What was, the, what was the book again? Human Plus Machine. Human Plus Machine. Got yeah. it. Very fun. Um, but the, the central premise of the book, similarly, is that humans were built to, to do certain things, and we excel at certain things. Mm-hmm. And computers were built to do certain things, and they excel at certain things. Right. And some jobs are meant for humans, and other jobs are potentially meant for computers. Yeah. And it's funny when you talk about education, socialization, and corporatization. Within the context of socialization and corporate, corporatization, um, a lot of us have been trained to do repetitive things, and right. do repetitive things very well. Yeah. The reality is computers are way better at doing that than us because mm-hmm. they have more or less unlimited energy so no for emotion. those right, right. They run on the algorithm instead of right, calories, exactly, right? Yeah. Exactly. Which, you know, the optimistic <laughs> yeah. view is that that frees us up, us being the humans, right. to do things that we're actually passionate about, totally inspired agree. by, et cetera. Yeah. And so it re-channels our energy towards things that are more rewarding and productive for humanity as a whole. It's mm-hmm. funny when you think about artificial intelligence, in our minds, we're often thinking like, I'm going to be working next to a robot. And the reality is that's probably not true. You're going to be working with similar tools to what you use today. Those tools will just be a little bit more powerful. Right. So yes, and the robots be... are on a different floor. <laughs> the robots are, yeah. they have their own break room. You, yeah. you'll never... They're in the interior of the building because they don't have any demands for natural light. Exactly. exactly. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Let's do that. I like for this sure. Part. But the the premise is that um, of this book is is that there's this huge opportunity in what they call the missing middle. Mm which is basically those tasks in which humans can have superpowers when paired with machines. So the things that are repetitive and boring and really hard Mm -hmm. to tackle, if only we had access to that that information so that we could make decisions more quickly or so that, again, we could focus on the human-based element of the problem that we're trying to solve, Mm -hmm. right? If we can get out of spreadsheet land for a while and get into Disneyland for a while and really understand what the human experience is, then... You know, you bring those two things together, human plus machine, you have potentially breakthrough innovation. Right. Um, so it's really fascinating that you mentioned that because I think there is a bit of a groundswell happening um, back towards 
jobs, right. <laughs> you know, cities, teams, what, whatever scale you want to look at, whatever lens you want to look through. And hopefully students, right? Students, when I look at my, yeah. my children, um, I want them to have a different experience yeah. education-wise. Yeah. And Me too. You know, yeah. wouldn't it be interesting to imagine, you know, what does that AI human component look like as related education? Um, I don't know what needs to be true in order for us to ultimately get there, but I think asking the questions is probably the, the first step. Right. Um, because maybe they don't need to do rote memorization of things just because that's the way it's always been, right? right? That's right. more Taylorism in action. Right. Yeah. And Empire building. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. is that going to serve us well? Because wouldn't they be better served imagining right. and dreaming and wondering what's possible if yes mm-hmm. and accessing the stuff that they that is wrote mm-hmm. um, on their phone or on right. you know with their their AI partner whatever that looks like right. but I, I do find I'm I'm thinking about those things differently yeah a lot now because when you do see what's possible and you think about well is that the best use of our our time and energy as people I don't know often I'm shaking my head and going I don't think so anymore. I, would, I think that's yeah. wildly unpopular, yeah. only because it's so different. Mm. And until we can wrap our minds around what else is possible, people, right? You, you can't. Yes. You can't show people. Um, you can't ask them what do they wish for when they they only know what they know. Exactly. And and it's a uh, how many possibilities can you open up? How many avenues can they explore? What gets them excited? Mm-hmm. Instead of the no, you have to learn long division. Yeah. You know and what why. I, I'm, I think I agree with you on that because I've seen better ways to do things. Right. And I had the opportunity to work with some master's students of oh. architecture um, through a summer studio. And the studio kicked off with a design competition sponsored by a magazine, a product magazine. And the contest was to redesign the exterior face of one of the buildings in downtown Cincinnati. And the studio was taught by three architecture firms, BHDP, um, and then there were two other competitors in town that also had their own studios. Well, when they found out there was a competition, they sent their best designers, the other two, and they sat down and they talked at the students about what design is. And it was really weird. It was surreal walking past because you had the guy with the black turtleneck, you know, the oh, right, atypical right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. design guy. And I come strutting in because I like to walk in the room being the least informed person in the room. You know, just the curiosity turn yeah, all the way right. And I walked in, I'm like, what do you guys get excited about? Like, what do you like about building? What do you want to do? And they're like, well, I was thinking about this. I'm like, okay, let's learn more about that. And the moral of the story is the competition was done. Our studio got first, second, and third place. You know? Oh, wow. Like, That's we great. swept the podium yeah. and it had nothing to do with me. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was just yeah. like, what do you want to do? You know? And right. I, I think that, that letting people explore their curiosity is vital to the yeah. outcome because then it's just not grab your oar and row. Mm-hmm. You know, here's what no, it should be. True. Here's what you should think about. Here's how you please me as the expert in the room. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm no expert. And that sense of humility is, is not what we've historically seen rewarded right. in organizations. So I think back to your question around the leader, I think bringing some, some humility to the mix is also really important. But that's generally not what's gotten them to where they are. Hmm. Yes. And, how and that's a hard to, habit to break. It's Yeah, yeah. right? And yeah. what the heck is that? And right? how do you avoid being reassimilated into yes, the collective? Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you keep your, your you keep know, design thinking muscles yep. strong and um, not be kind of eaten up by the amoeba that is the organization <laughs> that wants to kind of digest that, right? That's really, really hard. And giving people the awareness and the language to, to say, hold on a second, I know it's going to be difficult, 
um, which is why we we generally have a lot of of strong relationships in a cohort. Mm-hmm. So whatever yeah. class comes to together that week, um, they stay connected because hmm. it's really important to have somebody to lean on when somebody's poking on you going, oh, why'd you ask that question? Why'd you ask us to draw this? Why? And it's just different, yeah. right? But having that support system, I think, is really, really important as you go because reentry sometimes is hard. Sure. And sometimes people quit. Hmm. Because what they've what what I've been told is they come back and say, "Wow, I just learned this new way of doing things, and it's way better than what I've learned in the past, and I want to keep doing that." And in some organizations, it's too hard, right? And so they go on and do something else instead. Sure. So there is some interesting nuance to that. Mm-hmm. On it, back to organizational readiness, yeah. and is the organization ready to do the work of innovation if the conditions are not right and you're teaching a skill set? but you're not actually able to safely practice that new skill set, you run the risk of, of having people go, well, hold on a second. I just learned this way that made my life better, and now I can't do it. Why is that? Sure. So do you, uh, do you only come in when invited, or do you offer workshops that people could sign up for? So like if somebody was interested in the... Yeah, you know, I have one of those that's, that um, we're planning for September oh, cool. here in town, actually, that's more of an open enrollment. Um, we're calling it Innovation Camp. I know. Well, um, I'm like, where do I sign up? <laughs> with two Camp. of my, my friends. Yeah, one is a, yeah, one's a storytelling expert and one's an improv expert. And mm. then I'm going to cover off design thinking and and um, organizations as well. So we're going to do a two-day session here in September. But generally, it's by invitation. Oh. Yeah, so people will have a specific business problem. Um, mm-hmm. But I'll spend time doing strategy and workshop development with them, and often capability development, too. So I'll get called to do design thinking training or to talk about leadership development and leadership training, too. Very cool. Yeah. yeah I'd like to do the thing in September. Yeah, for sure. Well, then, another thing that you'd mentioned before, and I wanted to come back to, the Sanford D School. Yeah. What, what in the world is that? Sanford D School. Um, wow, it is really where the... Practice of design thinking um, really went from small to scale, mm-hmm. right? So they were one of the original places where you would go to get design thinking training. And it's technically part of the engineering school um, out at Stanford University in Palo Alto. This wonderful building that is open. And you know, I was mentioning everything's on wheels. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of, of hardware kits around the area too to do some really nice prototyping they take a picture of you when you walk in and it's it's a polaroid picture it's it's um, they're living human-centeredness every single step of the way and it's really a wonderful place to go to to get training in design thinking um, or just to visit i call it the epicenter of optimism <laughs> i really love to go to palo alto <laughs> it's beautiful the skies are clear and yeah. you know it's, it's like the clouds part and the ideas just come and there's this wonderful energy there um oh. it's it's yes, of angels, right so. you know if i could sing that well yes i would be making the same noise but you know it's it's a really special place and that's where a, a, a lot of the beginning of that really came to life um thanks to David and Tom Kelly mm-hmm. and Tim Brown and um, all of them kind of being there in their IDEO practice, then kind of stepping forward into launching that in the Stanford D School. So the D School stands for Design School. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very yeah, cool. Yeah, it's a great place. Drew, did you have any other questions? Like, what have I missed? I guess my lasting question for you, my last yeah. question would be, you know, you mentioned Palo Alto, the Stanford D School as right. the epicenter of optimism. Yeah. If I wanted to build an outhouse of optimism oh, right. <laughs> in yeah, my own yeah. organization, right? 
how would I get I started? I love that. <laughs> that is prototyping in its best, Drew. Yeah. yeah, well done, right? How would you the do she that? Shed of optimism <laughs> yeah, right well, you know, it's it's really funny. When I think back to my my last two days at PG, I decided I wanted it to go my way mm-hmm. and I wanted it to be different. And I rented a convertible Ooh. for my last two days, which actually was the most significant feat. Um, the commercial agencies here don't rent convertibles. And when I was calling one of them, I said, you know, here's what I'm looking for. We don't have convertibles in Cincinnati. Why would you need a convertible in Ohio? And I was like, <laughs> what? So then I learned about this the site. Sky, I mean, obviously. Exactly, it was so crazy. It was yeah. just literally telling me this. I'm thinking, well, how am I going to find a convertible? Then I learned that there's um, an Airbnb for cars called Turo, T-U-R-O. Mm-hmm. And so the guy delivered the convertible to me and then picked it up. It was very easy and and well done. I took one-on-ones for my last two days in the convertible and drove around the city mm-hmm. in the sun. And it was the best time. Right. Yeah. And I came back with this insight on why aren't companies employing fleets of convertibles? Mm-hmm. Why do you have a huddle room that's cold and dark? <laughs> and why are we having our meetings there? Because I had these great conversations. Yeah. Um, and I bought a convertible last night. Did you really? really? Yeah. Congratulations. Right? So yeah. you're starting so a I told my husband, I was like, you know, I had just the best experience. Yeah. And he's like, well, then let's just get you a convertible. Yeah. So um, it's my, my, it's not my everyday car, but it'll be for when the weather is right. Yeah, sure. Because yeah. it's Ohio. Yeah. But those moments matter. Yeah. And I think how can you bring the sun and the air and the energy? I mean, that felt like my mini mm-hmm. My mini Palo Alto outhouse yeah. was the convertible, right? <laughs> but it's those kind of things that I do think make a difference, where you can have the window open and you can talk about what's possible. And all the research says access to sky and trees mm-hmm. really does make a difference in your creativity and your optimism as well. And why do you have to go outside to get that? Yeah. You know, why can't, why can't you have more of that? What if there's a... a um, different kind of I mean I would love to do an, a workshop in an outdoor environment in, in the middle of a building like a courtyard or something that would yes. be awesome to do yeah. something like that and yeah people do great things yeah. when they're exposed to new energy so if people want to find you they can find you yeah. at ampersand innovation that's right they can find you cruising the streets of Cincinnati in your convertible yeah or yeah. they can find you solving problems with design thinking that's say right. up at the American Girl store in Columbus yeah Ohio. you know I have not pitched any business to them yet but um, if they're listening, if they're, listening but they're, yeah. if they're listening yeah they can find me and then I'm on LinkedIn as well at Holly Ann O'Driscoll yeah. so yeah perfect very good. So what um, is there anything that's next for you? Anything you want to let us know before you go? What's on your mind, Holly? Wow. You know, for me, when I people often ask me, you know, what do you think the next horizon is on design thinking? As I talked earlier about kind of the facilitation, the mindset, and the leadership philosophy. And my biggest wish in this space is that people come into businesses, into professional life, with an appreciation and understanding of why this matters. So, um, so that they don't need the training when they get to to business they come in with that because mm-hmm. it was part of their core education mm-hmm. experience and so that's my my next frontier that I really care deeply about right yeah. how do you invest in students when their minds are really more ripe for learning mm-hmm. right and they haven't kind of um, gone down the path of, of kind of fixedness mm-hmm. in that space um, so yeah I think how do we invite more of empathy and curiosity and optimism and prototyping mindset in in kids because they're yes. born with it and you see it in, in young children and by the time they get older it's it's atrophying already mm-hmm. I think as a result of a system that says you need to get the 98 and you need to beat the person next to you who got the 96 yes when you know everything 
doesn't happen on that same kind of sequence. We've just force-fitted that into our culture. Mm. So um, how might we Mm -hmm. have a time when people come into their professional roles with um, an appreciation and awareness and and skill set and mindset of design thinking such that we can also solve our problems by having people really at the heart of everything that we do. Thank you for joining us at Trends and Tensions presented by BHDP. This concludes our discussion with Holly O'Driscoll of Ampersand Innovation LLC and Drew Susco of BHDP on the topic of design thinking. Join us next time to see what else we're talking about. If you appreciate what you've heard so far, please rate, subscribe, and give us a review.